This is episode 321 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are the 10 best reasons to bug in and not bug out, it's going to get hot preparing for the heat in a power outage, and conflicted, a terrible accident, what would you do? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, before we get started, just want to remind you that this episode is being sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. I believe the key to preparedness is having multiple streams of income, and my ebook and the Prepper website forums will help you in that regard. So hopefully you'll go get some more information at microbiz.biz or just go over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com for a little bit more information. I have the links in the show notes. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Our first article comes to us from preparednessadvice.com. And again, the article is entitled, The 10 Best Reasons to Bug In and Not Bug Out. And so there's a lot of great information here, guys. I think that uh, you should really pay attention to this. Uh, even if, you, if you're if you an experienced prepper or if you are a new prepper, uh, you know, this is important information that you need to consider. Because when we get out there into preparedness land, uh, you know, one of the big things is the bug out bag and, and you know, spending all this time and effort into you know, fixing up and, and money into your bug out bag, but you really need to know where you're going. And so this lays out a great defense of why you don't want to bug out. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. I like the idea of bugging out as much as the next guy, testing my metal against zombies in a world without a power grid. The reality is that most of us by far will be better off in an SHTF scenario staying right where we are at home. The reasons to bug in far outweigh most other options. Over the years, I've given this a lot of thought because like a lot of you, I too was swept up in all the glamour of planning to bug out. It's the stuff prepper novels are made of, but it's what I call overrated prepper advice. The bug out bag, what should it contain? Let's talk about that for a couple of years. I have nothing against a well-planned 72-hour kit, but once put together, move on already. The bug out vehicle, which make, which model, how can I customize it and convince my wife to let me spend serious money on a side project when I already have too much on my plate? The bug out location, where where will we go? And more importantly, how will we be able to afford what is a secondary home by any other name? The bug out plan, put all the pieces together and revel in the tactics, the strategies, the finest details and then go over everything in forum discussions that last for years. All that aside, the cold hard truth is that home will almost always be the safest place to be, and guys like me who work some 15 to 20 miles from home base would be better off having a couple of simple plans for getting there. Reasons to bug in are smart and worth considering in spite of all the bug out information on the web. Off the top of my head, there are 10 reasons why your home is the best place to hunker down if you're wondering, should I bug out? Spend your time figuring out non-crazy ways to fortify it and getting to know as many of your neighbors and fellow citizens as possible. In a crunch, 
they'll end up being your actual survival group, like it or not. So in no particular order, here are the top 10 reasons to bug in and why it will almost always be the best course of action. Number one, far less risk to you and your loved ones when you plan on bugging in. Now that my kids are teens, I'm not quite as worried about being on the road with them as I was when they were younger. When you think about it, hitting the road in a bug out situation is fraught with extreme dangers to your family members. You and I might be able to hoist a 50 pound pack, strap on a firearm or two, and then hoof it to a remote, safer location. I guarantee you a wife, kids, grandparents won't be able to do that and what then is your choice? Will you leave them behind? It's much easier to have a comprehensive plan to gather everyone together in a single safe location which is probably going to be your home. This article about low-tech ways to protect your home may be helpful to secure your home and property. Number two, you know the terrain. When Hurricane Harvey hit our town, all of a sudden everyone was interested in the sea level of their home, their distance from the nearest lake and river, and whether or not the bridges around us were covered with water. It doesn't take long for a curious person with some time on their hand to learn all that and more, and that's what needs to be done way before a real crisis hits. Put me in a locale that I've only visited on weekends and then challenge me to get there with my family in a crisis with adrenaline pumping and I might be able to do it. There's also a good chance that in all the confusion we might make a wrong turn or run into an unforeseen challenge such as roadblocks, washed out side roads, and the like. Number three, you know the people. If you've read my article about the most dangerous threat, and there's a link here, you understand how vital it is to know as many people as possible in your neighborhood and the surrounding areas. Now, most of my neighbors are a lot like me, hardworking people who just want to do their own thing and be left alone. I respect that. Alex, a few streets away, may have a hobby of collecting old pinball machines and his kids are a lot younger than mine, but he's also one of the most industrious guys I know. He has a way of coming up with creative solutions to problems that makes me think he'd be ideal as a survival group buddy. Joseph, on the other hand, is my next-door neighbor, and as far as I can tell, his only interests are going to and from work every day and watching TV. That's good information to file away in my head, along with Caddy, the elderly widow three doors down who is a hoarder and emotionally and mentally scarred by decades of abuse. My daughter checks in on her from time to time. I also know who doesn't belong in this neighborhood, and that is just as important as knowing who does. It makes it easier to identify potential threats. An excellent reason to bug in. Away from my home base, I'm not so sure who belongs and who doesn't. In a survival situation, you'll have hundreds and hundreds of new and very difficult decisions to make and most of them will, in one way or another, involve the people around you. At your home base, you're in the perfect situation to get nosy and learn all you can about them now. If you have a bug out location in mind, how well do you know these people? And just as important, how well do they know you? Number four, you're more likely to have common ground with neighbors. When it comes to your kids, are you just a little paranoid about who you can trust? I am. My wife labeled me the paranoid dad a decade ago, and nothing has happened to make me behave otherwise. In my neighborhood, I've noticed that most parents by far are protective of their kids. We have that in common. 
And it's not just our parenting style that is similar, but our general view of the world, our high regard for our constitutional rights. This is East Texas, after all, and how we value family. Sure, there are plenty of differences when it comes to political and social issues, but there's a foundation, a common ground, and that I'm not sure I would share with random unknown people if we bugged out. Number five, you already know multiple routes for bugging in. I know my neighborhood. I've driven the roads hundreds of times and have made a game of using as many different routes as possible to get from point A to point B. I know this area. In a pinch, I could figure out some back ways to retrieve one of the kids if they were at a friend's house or my wife from one of her hair appointments. Making a game out of finding different routes home. Use my strategies in this article about utilizing Google Maps to plan an evacuation. My wife even makes a point sometimes to get lost on purpose and then figure out how to get home. It's a good idea and so far she's managed to make her way home every time. I'm proud of her. Number six, you know how to get in and out. The advantage is similar to the previous one, but has more to do with knowing multiple ways to get back in your town and neighborhood and then out if necessary and not using just paved roads. In a pinch, we can load up our bikes and take bike trails we've been traveling for the past four years. I thought of packing my bike in my work truck so I'd have an alternate method of transportation, but I haven't done that yet. Since we live near water, I've also been checking out streams, rivers, and lakes as yet another way to get out in an absolute worst-case scenario. You probably have similar information stored in your own brain, and if not, start checking out all the different ways you could get back in and then out if need be. Also, with knowledge of terrain, entrances, exits, and infrastructure, you have knowledge of defending your ground if it becomes necessary. Number seven. It's easier and cheaper to maintain one home site. My main beef with all the know-it-all survival gurus who claim that a second home, also known as a bug-out location, is an absolute necessity, is the cost involved. For someone like me, a guy with a well-paying job, but also with the expenses that come with raising a family and owning a home, finding the money to buy property in an outlying area and then equipping it, with not only another house but preps as well, isn't very likely. And it's not helpful at all to tell me I'm dooming myself and my family to horrible deaths if we don't have that rural home. Years ago, my in-laws owned a beautiful cabin a couple of hours north of Phoenix. Nestled in the pines, it was a darn good bug-out location. But when the economy went belly up, they had no choice but to sell. Along with the mortgage, they had to maintain some county fees for roads, property taxes, and utilities. It all adds up. Simply put, it's just a whole lot cheaper to assess your home right now, wherever it is, and figure out how to best make it defensible and get it fully prepped rather than dividing your time, attention, and money between two different properties. Number eight, my family knows where to come. As our kids have gotten older, there's no telling on any given day where everybody is. My daughter now has a part-time job at a grocery store and meets up with friends a couple of times a week. My son has sports practice about 40 minutes from home, goes fishing with his buddies at nearby rivers, and gets to the gym on his bike a few times a week. My wife, well, there's no telling where she'll be during the week. In a crisis, I want every one of them to know how to get home. Home is our number one meetup place, no matter what happens. 
I don't want them wondering, should I go home or to our hidey-ho cabin 95 miles away? Is dad coming home or heading there? I've already told my wife that if all hell breaks loose, I will find a way to get home. It may take a few days, but I'll get there. With only one single survival location, our home, there's no wondering where to go or where everyone is. Number nine, you know business owners, churches, and community leaders. I have a network of people in our lives that we know we can rely on for good service, good products, advice, and support. After the major flooding from Hurricane Harvey, these were the people who immediately volunteered their services, their property, their time, their money, and their connections to help out. In many cases, they were helping strangers, but in others, they knew the names and faces of their clients, customers, and church members. A support system like this is invaluable in a crisis. And number 10, it's where all your stuff is. Speaking of Harvey, right before the storm hit, my wife and I quickly pulled out necessary supplies and gear we thought we might need to get us through everything from a boil notice to a long-term power outage. It was all there. The mini Sawyer water filters, the solar lanterns and flashlights, our water storage barrels and filled water bricks, the sun oven and a lot more. We've been prepping for over nine years now and have accumulated a lot of stuff, including a solid 72-hour kit. Our preps are pretty well organized in closets, spare room, and an attic. We know that we know what we have, where it is, and how to use it. We also are right here on the property to protect what is ours if it ever came to that. That isn't the case for a bug out location. Even with the security system and watchful neighbors, if you have them, it's all too easy to raid and loot a property that appears to be vacant. Some will argue you're supposed to live at your bug out location, and that works for some people, but not most of us. One of the major concerns of people who own these secondary locations is how to protect the property and all their belongings. There's no easy answer to that. What other reasons can you think of for planning to bug in rather than spending most of your time planning to bug out? I just don't think that is the wisest course of action unless your home has become extremely unsafe. All right, guys, there's about six comments here on this article, and there's a lot of links throughout the article that uh, you might want to link to, uh, other articles that he referenced that might be interesting to you. So definitely you might want to come check this out over at uh, preparednessadvice.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. But uh, something to definitely consider, you know, if you are a new prepper, and I know there's a lot of you that are new because I hear from you, uh, you know, often. And maybe you you hit the podcast, you know, on iTunes and uh, you just kind of saw it and like, hey, you know, what is this about? Um, in the pre- preparedness community, one of the big things is always the bug out bag and uh, to bug out. You know, that that's the deal, right? The topic. And I know that if I post, um, because it's such a big deal, I know that if an article is posted on Prepper website about bugging out, um, that that's going or bug out bags, that's going to be a very popular uh, post. People are very interested in that, and so you know I know that that's going to get a lot of hits. Um, but you know, also along the lines is bugging in. I think more and more people are becoming more aware of the fact that bugging out is not always the answer. You need to have a location that you're going to. You're not going on an extended camping trip. You're not going you know, to survive out in the woods. Bugging out is you're bugging out to a place and your bug out bag is the supplies that you need to get you there. 
But this article is right. If you don't have a place to bug out to, if you don't have uh, family members out in the country, if you don't have a, a bug out location hidden away, even the bug out locations that are out there, like he said, this last thing that he talked about, this is a very real issue as people out there are hurting for money and stuff. Even if you have a secluded place, people out there that live in the country, uh, you know, they're driving the roads and, and um, unless you're... Uh, your bug out location can't be seen at all by by you know from the road or whatever. Then uh, you might be good there. But even even if people know you know the locals know that you're there, and if they need some extra money or there's some kids who want to cause some damage, they can go in there and they can do that. And uh, that can be just a, a real pain in the butt for you if you have one of these second homes. You know even if you can afford it. But I think, uh, you know, one of the, the, the best pieces of advice here, you know, uh, just is the overall one is, you know, maybe you need to consider the first bug in. And then for whatever reason, if you do have a solid plan for bugging out, you know, maybe that is a secondary uh, a secondary option, plan B that you have if you need to get out for whatever reason. But uh, come check this out over at the 10 best reasons to bug in and not bug out. Remember, you know yourself, you know your family, you need to make the best decisions for yourself. But a lot of good advice here. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our second article. It comes to us from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You.com. The article is entitled, It's Gonna Get Hot, Prepping for the Heat in a Power Outage. And as we get closer and closer to uh, summer, I mean, I know it's already getting hot here in the Houston area, hot and humid. Uh, the humidity just, I got to tell you, if, if you're not in a place where you don't, you don't get humidity, you are, you're lucky, man. It sucks. Let me tell you, because it just adds to the, to the heat. But anyway, uh, you know, we're getting hot down here and, uh, you know, it's very, very soon we'll be in triple digit numbers. And, uh, one reason that we, we always need to be considerate of, how hot it is out there so that we can keep cool. And even if there's power outages and even if there's, uh, you know, we have elderly people living with us, we need to be able to keep them cool and safe. So let's go ahead and read this one uh, again. Coming from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You.com. It's going to get hot prepping for the heat and a power outage. It got hot here in North Missouri this week and our air conditioner is dead. We actually have a new one ready to install, but the job hasn't gotten finished. It's not that big of a deal today because it's still cooling off at night and we can draw the cool air in with a high volume window fan. But in the heat of the summer, it gets really hot here, especially if the power is out. Spice and I have plans on what to do in the heat of the summer if we have no power. Do you? Here are a few of our thoughts. Make sure that the windows have screens and that they can be open. We've got a few windows to work on this year. It's an old house, but we regularly open up the front of the house, our sleeping area, and the kitchen. Three places that heat gathers. Human bodies will heat up the house. We have left shade trees around our house, even though a couple of them are not particularly attractive. We have access to screened-in tents in case it's so hot inside the house that sleeping there is impractical. Make sure your screens are in good repair. Even fairly new screens can have holes in them. Our cabin isn't five years old and we have one screen out for replacement because some annoying bug decided it was going to chew holes through our screen. Note, we will have an article about screen repairs, how to do them, and what supplies to prep for them in the near future. 
it's probably a good idea to buy some spare slide-in screens to replace ones permanently installed on your house if they are damaged in a storm. They cost about $6 and look like this. So there's a picture there that you can uh, check out there. Spice took a look at one way of creating shade last year, and here's an excerpt of that article that describes a lattice system we have in place on one of our porches. If you make air move faster, some of its heat energy is converted into the energy of motion, so it cools. This natural law has been put to work on the porches of warmer climates for decades at least. Have you ever seen this kind of construction on the side of a porch? And it's a, it's a lattice, basically. You can use more decorative patterns, but this is the traditional. Light colors absorbs less heat. You want the space fairly small to break up the breeze and make it speed up, but not ultra-fine as that can discourage air movement. Our back porch, built before air conditioning was a thing, has one side covered in this kind of construction, and it was common on porches in Missouri and Point South. When the weather got so hot, sleeping in the bedroom was too stifling. People would set up cots on these back porches, screened, thankfully, to discourage mosquitoes, and sleep much more comfortably. Now it seems people don't like the look of them and how they block the view. They've gone out of fashion. Wouldn't it be a nice prep, though, to have some suitable panels, perhaps screened as well, ready to set up during power outages in the summer? The benefit of this approach to a prepper is that you can build them to the size of the window in the house you intend to shelter in, costing you zero cash, and just set them aside somewhere. The storage spot doesn't even need to be temperature controlled, as so many of our preps demand. Then, when they're needed, you just haul them out and set them up. There's no reason they wouldn't work with security bars as well if you like to go that route. Newsflash. Plants absorb solar energy and use it to build their molecules. Yay, you knew that. But if the plants absorb the solar energy before the energy reaches the walls of your home, the house heats up less. Yay, you could have figured that one out on your own too. Less often considered biological fact. When plants lose water, that evaporation takes away heat, just as our sweat evaporation cools us. Plants doing photosynthesis evaporate a lot of water. That's why it's really, it really is cooler under tree cover than under non-living shade. Why not make use of this fact? Place trellises on the sunny side of the house. Plant some lovely flowering plants that like to climb trellises at their base. One thing you can do to give yourself a bit of a test is on a warm afternoon, turn off every cooling device you have and open the windows. See how well the house cools with no electric circulation whatsoever. Depending upon your window size, the level of shade your house is in, the wind speed as it hits your window, you might be surprised how well or how poorly your humble abode does. If it does well, great. If not, it's time to take some remedial action and come up with the solution. Before the power fails and you are left stewing in your own sweat, it's not merely a matter of comfort. Excess heat spoils sleep, impairing health, immune function, and ability to think and decide well. In the very young or very old, excess heat is often fatal. All right, guys, there's one comment here that uh, you might be interested in, uh, but uh, something to consider um, depending on where you live. You know, I've asked that question before, you know, when people 
uh, I believe it was the Allen brothers who uh, founded Houston. What were they thinking? Because it was way before air condition and all of that. I mean, what what could they possibly have been thinking? Uh, maybe the, I, I think they were looking for a port. Maybe I don't know. But uh, you know, without AC in Houston, it's very very miserable. It sucks really bad. Uh, a lot of the times, what you know, what people will do if their AC breaks down before uh, someone can come and fix it. You know, they will pack up and they will go stay at a relative's house or whatever because it just can get really hot. And the homes nowadays are not built to, uh, you know, to not have central air and heat or, you know, big window units to, to do that. So, uh, you know, I remember talking with my dad about this, how uh, his home before they had central air and heat, you know, they had the sides of their houses came over the, the I guess the awning maybe uh, of their house came over a little bit further and a little bit lower so that they could keep the windows open. And, you know, if it was raining and rain wouldn't get in and they had screens and all those types of things. And uh, man, but, you know, they I, I guess they got used to it eventually. I guess, you know, if we were in a real grid down scenario, you would get used to it. But why not try to put some things in place? Uh, to you know, cool off your house a little bit better. You know, like you know, having some shade and then uh, doing some of these you know these screens and, and those types of things. Uh, you know, and knowing how your your heat uh, accumulates in your house. So uh, you know, good good uh, information here to kind of get you thinking as we get into summer. And then not only that, uh, we need to be reading some other articles as well about keeping cool and different things like that. Uh, you know, because uh, it, it can be a real um, a safety concern and you want to make sure you keep yourself safe and your loved ones and also again I keep saying the elderly because I think that's very important and uh, we really watch that all right guys uh, so go check that one out uh, like always I will link to it in the show notes all right so like always on the Thursday podcast I try to include a conflicted scenario conflicted is a survival card game so you draw a card you read the scenario and it's usually a very conflicted uh, scenario and so it's some hard decisions that you have to make. Now I always recommend that when you listen to this scenario, um, you know try not to uh, just go the easy way out with that and say I would that would never happen to me. I would never do that. Uh, you know and actually this scenario that I'm going to read today is probably one of those where people would say that would never ever ever happen to me. But what I always recommend is take what you know about preparedness. Take what you know about survival and and all that kind of stuff and don't necessarily say, hey, that would never happen to me. Put yourself right in the middle of the scenario and then with the knowledge that you have, how would you answer the scenario? How would you go about it? And so you can just, you know, for your own uh, for your own learning, you can kind of think through it. If you're traveling with someone or they're listening to this podcast as well, or you can bring it up, you know, with uh, someone later on, you can talk it over. Or if you feel like sharing your thoughts, come on over to edthatmatters.com. And uh, again, I'm going to link to it in the show notes and you can drop what you would do in the comments. It's always good to read other people's perspectives because a lot of the times uh, you might not be thinking uh, you know, that way. And then when you read somebody else's pers- perspective, it can, uh, it can change how you would have answered it. So let's go ahead and read this scenario. Um, and we will, uh, like always, I'll read it twice. And uh, then we'll uh, go ahead and go from there. So again, this is uh, a terrible accident. What would you do? You and your best friend leave your families at the retreat and go investigate an early detection warning on the outskirts of your property. 
you have a negligent discharge and a 308 round goes through your friend's head, exploding on exit. Do you tell your best friend's wife and kids that you killed him or do you create a story about getting ambushed? Why do you choose the decision you make? All right, man, that's a tough one. And so you can see why I would say a lot of people uh, or a lot of people might say that would never happen to me, you know, gun safety and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but anyway, you know, this is the scenario. What would you do in this scenario? So let me read it one more time. You and your best friend leave your families at the retreat and go investigate an early detection warning on the outskirts of your property. You have a negligent discharge and a 308 round goes through your friend's head, exploding on an exit. Do you tell your best friend's wife and kids that you killed him? Or do you create a story about getting ambushed? Why do you choose the decision you make? All right, guys. So, you know, take care of that scenario however you want to. If you want to, you know, just think about it yourself. You want to share it with someone. Or if you want to come over to Ed That Matters. If you come over to Ed That Matters, I do have a link right below the scenario called Creating Myth When the SHTF. It's an article that I wrote a while back, and I think it's kind of interesting. So if, you, uh, if you're if you interested in that one, uh, you can go check that one out over at edthatmatters.com. Well, everyone, that's it for episode 321. Man, I can't believe we are up to 321. Times sure is flying. Hey, if you are not subscribed to the show, you can come on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. You can subscribe there in iTunes, Stitcher, any other podcast network. We really do have a lot of links for you to choose from and a lot of ways for you to connect and get to the podcast. Uh, That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. Hey, and don't forget to take a moment to connect with me. I'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and definitely love for you to come on over to the Facebook uh, group and be a part of that. There's a ton of ways to connect in the show notes and also over at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.